Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we are going to be talking about an exciting new area that is emerging as a hot new career these days, and that is data journalism. And to help us understand this space, our guest today is Ashley Kirk, who's a data journalist with The Telegraph. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar, The Telegraph is one of the most popular news dailies in the UK, and Ashley has been working as a data journalist with them for about two years now. What's really interesting is that Ashley is the very first data journalist at The Telegraph. So you can see that this is clearly a relatively new space, but a space that is gathering a lot of interest. Prior to The Telegraph, Ashley has written for The Independent, The Guardian and City AM. He has a bachelor's in English from University of Birmingham and a master's in interactive journalism from City University London, where in fact, today he teaches data journalism as a visiting lecturer. So I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And with that, let's welcome Ashley. Hello. Hey, Ashley, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, yes. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. And in fact... Yeah, and I do want to begin with also thanking you for for recording this in the morning for me. So because of the time difference, (laughs) you're in London... I'm in California, so this really made me wake up very early today, so I'm very proud of myself. Yes, well, it's been a long day, so hopefully I'm not, uh, I can still answer your questions. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm sure you will. So you're, it seems that you're in the office right now, right? Yes, uh, I've just gone upstairs to somewhere, a quiet corner, so hopefully uh, the background noise won't be too loud. No, it should be fine, but it's interesting to hear sort of the, the newspaper office in the background. Is it always generally very chaotic with people running around? Uh, no, it's uh, usually quite quiet. I think, um, you know, probably back in the day of, uh, you know, old school journalism, it, you know, it was probably a little bit more hectic, um, you know, but now, you know, there's not anyone shouting or anything like that. It's usually quite quiet. <laughs> that's more in, in the like movies. A, a meeting area now. So, yeah. I see. Well, that sort of dovetails very well into the new age of journalism now, right? I mean, this is a new, relatively new space, data journalism. Yes, exactly. Um, it's, you know, you know, what sets out a little bit is that it's a lot more collaborative than what, you know, journalism traditionally can be. You know, I think, of course, there's still, you know, competition there, you know, and everything. But, you know, there is also an element of collaboration within, you know, the data journalism community, a lot more sort of like into newsroom um, collaboration and that kind of thing, um, which is totally good. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about data journalism. And why don't we begin with first just giving us a little bit of an introduction and telling us about your career path so far? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, you've already done a pretty good job of introducing (laughs) me. Uh, I've been um, a data journalist at The Telegraph for a couple of years now. Um, Prior to that, I uh, was a freelance journalist, um, not specifically in data journalism, but, you know, dabbled in data journalism. Um, you know, I was freelancing around at City AM, The Guardian, The Independent. Um, that was after completing my master's in interactive journalism. Um, at the start, I didn't know anything about data journalism. I didn't know what it meant. 
how it worked or anything. I uh, did a BA in English um, at the University of Birmingham, where I got involved in the um, student newspaper Red Brick there, and I became the digital editor. So that was when I sort of started to get um, involved in digital stuff. So, you know, working out how to lay stuff out on a web page, working out how best to use certain digital tools, you know, uh, live blogging, uh, audio recording. I don't think we really did. I think we, no, actually we did do some uh, graphics, you know, we had, for example, like our local elections or like uh, our student union election and that kind of thing. So we were working out the best way to communicate that online Mm -hmm. in terms of using charts and graphics and that kind of thing. So I think that's what really started to build my interest in this kind of visual communication um but really it wasn't that i was like hardcore into data or anything i just kind of thought okay i like communicating stories online right how best to go forward for this and so that's when i uh started at my uh interactive journalism masters at city university where there was a um a module there called data journalism taught by john Byrne murdoch who's a data journalist at the uh, ft Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's when we, you know, that's when it started. You know, we looked at uh, lots of different ways of communicating data uh, in graphics and visualizations, whether they're interactive or static or, you know, whatever, and using lots of different tools, lots of different ways of gathering data, communicating data. And yeah, that was basically um, what got me interested in it and then went from there. <laughs> no, that, that that's really good. And it's interesting the way you're describing it, right? Because as an outsider, it doesn't sound very different from from journalism otherwise, right? Because no. when it, right, yeah. So can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? When people say data journalism now, and maybe this goes into what is data journalism, or at least what do you mm-hmm. mean when you refer to it today? Uh, because it's different, right? Yeah, it is different, but you know, in many ways, it's similar. You know, the the fundamental aspect of it is that it is still journalism. You know. Um, it's basically just the skills and the sources that are different. Um, so, you know, I would say data journalism is basically just journalism that uses a different source. It uses data as the primary source. You know, a data journalist will go, uh, you know, find a lead and then look into a data set to, to analyze the source and then find a lead in data sets as opposed to, you know, a more traditional way of doing it, which is, you know, having, you know, talking uh, in a pub with, uh, you know, mm. uh, your <laughs> source in person, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, that sort of um, person-to-person communication, you know, is still, you know, essential in data journalism as well. But, you know, the way that we find our stories is primarily through data. Um, I see. So, yes, we are, we are still, you know, reporters in, you know, a way that you'd associate with regular journalism it's just that our you know source is different it's looking through data sets gotcha yeah and actually this is a very interesting distinction that you're bringing up right that the the key i think the starting point for a data journalist is different based on what you're describing so instead of having these sources in the field you're you're starting with data and so Mm -hmm. my next question then would be that how do you decide which data set to look at because you can you can look at all kinds of data right yeah, I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like, how long is a piece of string? You know, there's so many different um, data sets out there um, that, you know, it all varies on what story you're trying to tell. You know, there are many 
um, government data sets out there. You know, for example, we've got the ONS in the UK, the Office of National Statistics, that basically publishes lots of um, data from uh, government departments. So, you know, whether it's the unemployment rate or, you know, pollution or basically you name it, um, the ONS or, you know, data.gov.uk. I know you've got data.gov in the US. Hmm. Um, you know, these kind of like big data sets on a national level that also drill down to a local level as well. So, you know, quite often we'll uh, look at those kind of things. But then, you know, aside from that, there's many organizations and, you know, in the private sector that publish lots of data as well. Um, you know, for example, like Google, you know, has lots of data that they're opening up with the Google News Lab. Mm. So that's another source that we use um, quite regularly. Mm. Um, And then, you know, there are other methods, you know, for example, if a data isn't open, already available to us in, you know, an easily downloadable and accessible uh, fashion, you know, there are other tools available to a data journalist, for example, like scraping, uh, if we can find this information somewhere on the web, that isn't, you know, particularly available in a nice format for us, you know, we can use some tools to sort of like pinch out that information so that we can then analyze it in our normal ways. Right. But I would imagine that you would probably begin with some sort of a hypothesis, right? That uh, there is something Mm. that you're looking to test and then you... And then you go and find the necessary data you need to to test if that is indeed the case. Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, you know, sort of in the same way that, you know, all journalism works, you know, we have to have some kind of lead or inclination that something is happening. Um, So this, you know, obviously varies massively on what kind of work we're doing, you know, whether it's sort of like quick turnaround stuff or longer term investigation stuff. But ultimately, you know, it is, as you said, you know, we have some kind of inclination that something's happening. Okay, what is happening in the US election to, you know, mean that Trump is, you know, gaining support or what is happening um, in the EU that means that, you know, debt is going up mm. uh, or, you know, wh- whatever the story is, you know, quite often, you know, we'll do quick turnaround stuff on a day. And so that is pretty much, oh, okay. it's pretty much, you know, kind of, uh, okay, so this has happened today. You know, what data can we find on that? Is it, you know, is there some polling out there or is there some context that we can add to the Telegraph's package on a particular story? You know, so mm-hmm. for example, if the economy is struggling or something, you know, whatever information that we can add to that, you know, so as data we know exactly where to look for unemployment stats or that kind of thing. And then, right. you know, dig into them and actually tell a bigger story that, you know, I often just, you know, a journalist might not think to look at or be able to analyze in that way. Right, right, right. And I think another interesting thing that you mentioned is how there are two kinds of stories, you might have something which is more short term and more something mm. more of sort of a daily turnaround kind of story and then you might have the more longer term and more investigative uh story so can you share examples maybe of the both i think you did share some examples of the like hey you know like what's happening in the elections right now could be something that you do very quickly but can you share examples of both yeah so first of all um, you know we have quick turnaround stuff so this is pretty much on the day something is happening okay what else can we add to the Telegraph's package on that particular story. So something we did um, last week was um, there was a story on Greece's debt, you know, Mm. for example. Uh, And then, you know, it's quite easy to then find data um, on governmental debt 
by as a proportion of GDP by EU country. Euro, you know, the EU has Eurostats that publishes all of these freely available on the web. Uh, you don't need any technical skills to download them. And then we can very easily create a map of Europe to show um, which countries have the largest debts. Uh, so then we can kind of do a story, you know, contextualizing um, Greece's debt and comparing it to other countries. Um, you know, and that would take a few hours to do. And then that is something that's in the Telegraph package that allows our readers to get a bigger picture view mm-hmm. on a particular story. Mm-hmm. And so we do quite a lot of those quick turnaround stuff. And then, you know, there is sort of longer term investigations, but also planning for big on diary events. So obviously last year we had the US election. Um, you know, we had uh, in the UK, we had the Brexit referendum um, and these kind of things. So we can plan a long way in advance for those kind of things while doing the daily stuff and really create that balance. Right. And so it almost sounds like there are, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in a lot of places, it's more like a data journalist is providing the data side to an overall story. So you already have an overall story, but you want to sort of make it more compelling. And uh, so you provide the supporting data. And would you say there are stories that are like, purely data stories no i wouldn't know that that isn't actually what we do so i mean what would so I mean, it varies you know so quite often you know we'll do a story where the data is you know you couldn't have the story without the data hmm. um you know that happens you know quite a lot uh i'm thinking we did an exclusive story recently on uh tube finds uh so the london underground when people um don't tap in or don't tap out of the tube line you know then they get charged a maximum fare which i think is around like 10 pounds and so we did like a story through the freedom information request to gather the data um on how much uh transport for london that a company was making from these fines you know where basically people make a small mistake when they're on the morning rush hour Mm. uh and i think it's like hundreds of millions of pounds i can't remember the figure off the top of my head You know, so there are many examples of those kind of stories where, you know, the data is the story. Um, One thing we don't like to do is to be a service. We don't want to be a a service where we just, you know, number monkeys, where we crunch numbers and then (laughs) give it to a normal reporter, you know, because we are reporters in our own right. What Mm. we'll usually do is basically do a breakout story from the data on these sort of like big daily stories. So, you know, the Telegraph will have its main news report Mm. on a story but then we'll have some kind of like analytical piece in the same way that you know we might have like a comment piece you know from one of our comment right. writers right. um you know giving an opinion on a news story we'll also have like an analysis piece from maybe like a data journalist digging into the numbers and providing context to give our readers greater understanding of that news report as well right okay that makes sense so just so kind of like a package of stories kind yeah. of thing yeah, and, and I think this is this is important to understand, right? Because I think from the outset, it might become kind of, it might be easy to just say that this is some sort of a service layer now, a new service layer, which is just making stories a little bit more robust. But clearly, that is not the case. Like, these are stories in their own right that are based yeah. on data. Yeah, exactly. Um, so why do you think that this, this area is becoming so hot now? Like, I, I hear about data scientists, now there is data journalism. There's a new new area. I, I was reading your bio, and I think you're one of the first data journalists at the Telegraph, right? Well, yes, yeah. the the first. To be oh honest. wow! Yeah. <laughs> um, I think 
Well, there's lots of things, you know. I think, um, first of all, you know, more and more data is being opened up all the time. You know, um, governments are, you know, creating data platforms and teams and everything. You know, they're hiring statisticians and, you know, just publishing vast quantities of information. They're just pumping this data out. And newsrooms are realizing that unless they have people with the skill set to be able to analyze this, Mm. they're missing so many stories. You know, there's so many stories that are going to left untapped if they don't have the people that can actually sift through this information and think, okay, what is the story here? Are there outliers? Are there patterns? Mm-mm. You know, what is interesting? What should our readers be able to know? So I think, you know, it's a response to basically just, you know, a lot more information being available. You know, we're all, create, all, we're all creating data on an individual level all the time, you know, with our mobile phones, you know, laptops, you know, using the internet all the time you know that that is creating data so you know i think you know as publications you know we need people that can understand this another thing to mention would be um technologies and tools so you know there's a lot more tools out there than there used to be a lot you know many of them are free and open source which basically mean that many people can be data journalists many people can kind of uh use tools to scrape information off the web to visualize data, you know, into a chart or a map or any other type of graphic you can think of. You know, there are many tools that mean that you don't have to be a developer or a coder um, to actually do these skills that many people think, you know, are quite, uh, that they may think are inaccessible to them. Right, 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 right. But I mean, do you need to have some sort of background in just data analysis? So maybe something in statistics, maybe things like that? Um, I think this is probably moving a little bit. In the past, you know, it was enough just to kind of have awareness um, of the different tools that are out there and the different platforms Mm. that can help you. But I think now there is a bit more desire for some kind of USP aside from, you know, a reporter that, you know, can understand numbers there is still definitely, you know, that side of things, you know, you take myself, for example, I don't have a statistical background. I don't have a developer background. I don't have like a graphics or UX or design background. You know, I am a, you know, reporter first and foremost, you know, that has then sort of educated myself on sort of like the statistical side. Um, but I think, you know, it would definitely help in terms of a recruitment perspective, you know, um, mm. if you have some kind of USP, whether that's, you know, from the development side, the graphics side, or, you know, design side, I think that would definitely be useful. Yeah. But I mean, playing the devil's advocate, <laughs> you, can, you can say that because I think uh, one, something which a layman could very easily do, like I could very easily do, is that you extrapolate on the basis of data when when you shouldn't be right so uh, like in statistics you have this concept of is this data statistically significant right do you have enough data to be able to conclusively say something or like you know difference between correlation and causation and those kind of things so shouldn't a data journalist be someone who who understands at least those concepts because if you're if you're making a story out of data and numbers uh, then it should be rooted in those concepts 
I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you, you couldn't get past as a data journalist now, you know, without, you know, understanding those things. You know, we only have to look at um, the US election. You know, right. it's made everyone kind of look at themselves and think, oh, God, you know, should we have communicated this set differently? You right. know, with, you know, the obvious uh, example there would be polling, right. you know, for the US election. Everyone, you know, many stories on 538, for example, uh, Nate Silver's um, website based on data journalism. Uh, they've written many blog posts about, you know, how they should have maybe like communicated margin of error mm. differently um, and this kind of thing. Um, basically communicating uncertainty, you know. Uh, the fact that Donald Trump had a 30% chance of the presidency, many people saw that as, you know, very certain that Clinton would win when actually, mm. you know, it's a greater chance than rolling six on a dice. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's kind of, you know, you have you have to be aware of, you know, how those kinds of statistics work so that you can actually think, okay, there is a margin of error here. Okay, yeah. there is, you know, a particular type of chance here. How do I then communicate that effectively so that I'm not, you know, not deceiving the reader, but, you know, I'm leading them down a path that might lead them to the wrong understanding when obviously yeah. the whole point of what we do is try to help their understanding. Yeah. So I, understanding, as you said, you know, correlations and, you know, margin of errors and all of these type of things, you know, uh, on the statistics side, you know, is very important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a very good point. It's, it's interesting that you brought the brought up the US polls example, because I was listening to this, not about the US election, but I was listening to a discussion uh, by a Silicon Valley influencer and he was talking about how how during the elections um, I think one of the news dailies here in the US had had a graphic on their on their homepage which had a needle which kept swinging back and forth between Hin- uh, Hillary Clinton and Trump and it was supposed to be a real time showing of where the two stand and that wasn't accurate because that data wasn't being updated every single second. So, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to disparage what you, what you do. I'm, basically, what I'm saying is that I think there's a lot of the the issue from a from a layman's perspective is that there's a lot of uh, knowledge that data journalists have, but I'm not sure how much the other people in the newsroom understand what you guys are doing, and so it gets represented in different ways. Or maybe not the yeah. most accurate way. Yeah, I think, you know, that's definitely a point. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, there's definitely room for improvement is collaboration among the newsroom as a whole. I think, you know, that is sort of, a, you know, data journalism is often seen as more of like a digital profession, if, right. if you like to say it like that. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, that fits into the wider perspective of issues of a newsroom integration between like uh, print platforms and digital platforms. Um, but yes, I think there definitely is um, an issue in terms of communicating data in that way. Um, right. You know, data journalism, you know, might want to be presenting information in a more sort of scientific way, if you want to say that, mm-hmm. than, you know, maybe like normal reporters. <laughs> and so I think, you know, there is a middle ground to be met, you know, in between right. the two. Right. So how would you describe the key differences between a data journalist and a regular journalist? Uh, I think, so there's probably a few things. I think, you know, um, they have to enjoy digging into detail. You know, you, you'll probably be doing a story for a lot longer if you're, you know, coming at it from like a data journalism perspective because, you know, 
data is a you know your first source and that can take a hell of a lot of time to dig into you know uh you can be looking at stuff yeah it might be hours but you know it could be days or it could be even longer you know to actually dig into like a big database Hmm. um so you have to enjoy that like fine detail to actually get to the bottom of something and you know by the end of it have that much more scientific look at a big picture story i think you know another thing you know would be the fact that they like to think about different ways of presenting the information so you know we're not talking you know we've got uh lots of visualization methods that we can use to communicate data um you know aside from just writing four five six hundred words you know on a paper you know there are many different ways we can produce interactives or you know static graphics or you know different tools where you know you input you know you get a reader to input a bit of information and then it returns some information that's relevant to them you know so i think you know a data journalist is often thinking about you know different ways that we can help people engage in a reader away from more traditional methods um so yeah and that kind of relates to you know both the source in terms of actually digging into stuff and then you know the communication you know actually okay so how do we communicate that data I think those two things together yeah. kind of separate a data journalist. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the stories that you uh, shared with me before the episode, and I put them in the description of the episode also. Uh, but there, there's a lot of charts and graphs, so it's 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 because mm. uh, and and that's important because ultimately you're trying to communicate a story through data, so it has to be represented in a way that uh, a reader can very easily understand. And uh, you know, another thing which comes to mind is that you know clearly this is something which has a lot more like it's a lot easier i'm guessing to convey this sort of story online as opposed to in print uh, would you say that's the case um <clears throat> good question <laughs> um i don't i don't think it has to be you know um i think especially over the last uh, year or so there's definitely been a move away from interactive graphics you know when you can sort of play around with a graphic and return different information, you know, so if you're clicking on different areas of a map Mm. or, you know, you're clicking on different areas of a chart and it might break up and give you specific information on a local area or a particular sector or something, there used to be a big, you know, that used to be really hot. People used to love doing that. You know, editors wanted that and everything. But now people are realizing, okay, that doesn't work well for the majority of our readers that are Mm. on mobile phones. Because, you know, if you have readers on a mobile phone clicking through little tiny shapes on a Coropleth map, for example, um, that doesn't work. You know, especially if your reader's a bit older, you know, they've got a fat finger or something. They can't <laughs> click on little tiny areas. Yeah. Um, and that really is, you know, the main advantage or the main thing that separates online from print. You know, anything else in terms of static graphics can work well on print. Mm. One thing we're trying to do more of now are charts which have annotations. So we point out a key anomaly in a bar chart, for example, or we point out a key hotspot on a map, you know, like the key area for crime in, you know, a city or something like that. If we just point that out and, you know, lay that out in an online article, there is no reason and we should be advocating having that same level of detail on a print page. Right, right. And would you say that because this is a very new area and, I mean, you're the first, literally the first data journalist at The Telegraph, is this role still sort of up and coming and can be found probably only in large news organizations and it's not very widespread? Uh, no, I think I think you're seeing an expansion. Um, okay. 
I mean, I'm speaking more from a UK basis, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's definitely the same in the US and many other places. You know, for example, in the UK, we're seeing uh, many local data journalism units open up. So we've got uh, the BBC is opening many local uh, data journalism units that are bringing data to a local level to local audiences, which I think is a massive um, advantage of data journalism that we can drill down into really local data to get um very local stories on things you know people can search for their area or you know just by being on their mobile phone you know somewhere can track where you are and tell you information about that area um right. we've got the bureau of investigative journalism in the uk that have just opened up a local journalism unit um that is all about opening up data from a local level so no i don't think it is oh wow um, okay i don't think it is the fact that you know it's just these big national publications that can afford you know a data journalism team i think you know you're seeing uh it a lot more on a local level no it's true i, I well, think you're right and there are a lot of enthusiasts also i mean if you look at and I'm, I'm more familiar with the data science side of things which is what you see a lot in the tech world but because as you said this data is public right so you can download it but anyone like i can download it if i want to mm -hmm. and uh, so if you have if you understand the tools a little bit, I mean, I can write my own story if I wanted to. Yeah, and that's uh, the cool thing about it. You know, yeah. you as you know, you don't need to be part of a great big newsroom to be able to download a data set. Use a free third-party tool, hmm. um, you know, Data Wrapper or High Charts or you know, there's loads out there. Yeah. You know, and then create a quick visualization and save it, you know, as an image and tweet it. Yeah. Um, you know that is data-led storytelling there. You know, you've downloaded some data, you've analyzed it, you've found a particular narrative to tell, and you're telling people, you're telling an audience, right. you know, and anybody can do that. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, so I would love to hear from you if you can walk us through a typical project, maybe one of the investigative stories that you've done, and just what are the key things that you would do from the beginning to the end to finally get the story out? So, well, basically, I would say like a, a data-led story in general kind of has four elements, like four stages to it. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of have the sourcing of the data. So, you know, trying to figure out where the data can be found and how to access it. Then you kind of have the cleaning up of the data. Um, so, you know, you, you'll have a, a download or, you know, a scraped information. Okay, how can I then clean that up into something usable Mm -hmm. Then you have the analysis stage where you, that's the fun bit, right? That's where you find the story. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the communication, uh, yeah. you know, how will I, you know, tell this story to the reader, uh, communicate my findings. So, yeah, you know, an example of that in practice would be, you know, our analysis of the U.S. election results. So, you know, why Clinton lost, which particular demographic groups uh, backed Trump, you know, which demographic groups didn't support Clinton in the way that we, you know, thought that. They might do. Um, and, you know, so once you've got the U.S. election results, um, which we can break down by county, you know, there's over 3,000 counties in the U.S., um, we can then overlay that with um, demographics data. The, the U.S. does, you know, a census that has gathers lots of different data on individuals in terms of uh, race, age, um, labor. Uh, so in terms of, you know, whether they're employed or unemployed. Hmm. Uh, and then we can use all these different rates and proportions of, you know, the population in each of these 
levels to kind of say, okay, so areas that were, you know, had higher unemployment tended to vote for Trump or areas that had a higher um, Hispanic votes, you know, tends to vote for Clinton. But, you know, maybe the turnout wasn't as high in those areas or, you know, whatever the uh, particular things that we wanted to try and prove right or wrong, we could find that data out by bringing the two data sets together Mm. and analyzing it. And then we could think about communicating it in loads of different ways. So it's primarily geographical information. So do we want to do like a map? Um, you know, we call them choropleth maps where we kind of map each shape of the counties across a range of colors. So maybe from like a light color to a dark area to imply, you know, a greater intensity of, you know, whatever the rate we are trying to show, you know, if it's unemployment or something. And then, you know, overlay that with, you know, Trump support as another, another choropleth. So you might do like a GIF of the two different maps so that people can see whether, the, you know, the patterns overlay, the darker areas overlay. Um, yeah. Or whether we wanted to do, communicate it as a bar chart in terms of, you know, average Trump vote for, you know, an area that has a particular proportion of whatever demographic we're trying to show. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, when you're thinking about how to communicate your story, have you found anything, like any any tactics or any strategies that you found more effective? Um, I think it depends a lot on the story. There are different things we do for a variety of different stories and also different priorities, you know. Uh, if it's a big set piece story you want to do, you know, we're going to invest more time and resource into something. If it's a quick turnaround stuff, you know, we're less likely to build like big graphics on it mm. or interactives. But there are, you know, some general rules, um, you know, that are good to follow when it comes to, you know, for example, the right or wrong time to use a pie chart. You know, there's a, yeah, quite sure. a lot of uh, controversy uh in general to be honest over the use of pie charts you know because you see some really bad examples of them uh on the internet you know when they've uh, got too many sections uh for example you know you see somewhere that's got like six or seven or eight or even more sections and it's just like okay i can't tell you know what that is communicating i can't tell which section is bigger or smaller than the other and then you know obviously you have to look at yourself and think okay is this actually aiding my reader's understanding or is it actually just you know, freaking them out, you know, confusing them, you know, would a bar chart be a lot easier way of showing that because, you know, you'd be able to tell exactly which bar is bigger or smaller than another. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, this is, you know, so there's some, sorry, go ahead. No, nah, I was just going to say, you know, there's just some general rules like that, that are, you know, good practice. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that is the key in this, uh, in order to really be able to make a good story or tell a good story is that, not only do you have to be able to analyze your data and make sure that you're coming to the right conclusion and all of that, you have to be able to communicate it to an audience, which is, I mean, I guess it's a safe assumption that they're probably not the kind of people who are reading data on a regular basis or a very small section is probably very comfortable with just looking at numbers and coming to conclusions. So being able to communicate your story very effectively is absolutely key for your story to be compelling. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, we have to think, you know, all the time when we're creating graphics, there's no point creating a graphic for graphics sake, you know, Uh, you know, we think about that a lot, you know, let's not do data for data's sake, you know, it actually has to lead to greater understanding of a narrative for our readers, you know, so, um, you know, making sure, you know, titles and subtitles are really clear, 
and easy to understand what this is actually showing, you know, is really important. So we'll make the title something that fits into the narrative. So like a key thing to point out in the chart, you know, has this been rising? Has this been falling? You know, is there a particular area or right. thing yeah. that is much higher than the others? So that will be kind of like our title pointing out the key thing that we want to try and point out here. But then the chart has to be quite easy to understand. You know, sometimes they can be more complex and it is right to be more complex. You know, it depends a lot on your audience as well. But, you know, for example, for our readership, uh, it's important that the chart is easy to understand because they're not going to be looking at that chart for long. Yeah. You know, we've got the metrics to show, you know, how long people spend on a, you know, on the page. You know, <laughs> if they don't get hooked by it in the first few seconds, um, <laughs> yeah. They're it's not going to stay with it. If they yeah. find it too confusing, they're not going to be interested. Yeah. Um, so it has to hook them and be easy to understand from a first level. If I'm interested in this. I'll dig around and play with it and look into, you know, what complexity or detail could be there. One more thing which just struck me is that uh, the story that the example that you take that you took off for the U.S. elections, that is a story that is more trying to sort of show what happened in hindsight. Would you say a majority of your stories are more looking at stuff in the in sort of what happened, trying to explain what happened, or is it more predictive? Uh, I mean, predictive stuff, you know, we only have to look at last year to be a bit wary of uh, predictive <laughs> Predicting anything, stuff. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a big variation, you know. Um, I think a lot of the stuff lends itself well to kind of like an analytical look at what's happened, you know, putting stuff in context or explaining what's happened, you know, because many events people look at and think, you know, they just get bombarded with news and, you know, they say, well, I just want the facts, uh, you know, and I think that's what, you know, there's a big, there's a big public service in actually, you know, providing a resource that says, okay, these are the facts, these, this mm-hmm. is the context or an explanation to this story, you know, told, through data in accessible graphics or you know however you want to communicate it so i think you know a lot of it is kind of that then processing you know what has just happened but you know the stuff we do you know varies massively we do look into you know stuff in the future uh you know for example at the moment we're considering uh the best ways to talk about the french election the french presidential election that is happening in april and may so, you know, we will do some kind of preview pieces on that in terms of polling, um, but we're still yet to figure out the best ways to do that right. in the wake of uh, Trump and Brexit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. All right. So then I would love to understand some of the more day-to-day aspects of your job. Like On any given day, if I were to run into you, uh, what kind of problems would I find you grappling with? Um. Again, you know, it depends massively on the story. You know, a big problem I guess we'd have is, you know, sort of access to data. Stories vary massively. Every day it's a different story and so it's a different data set. You know, sometimes it's very easy to find because, you know, there'll they'll be like a data portal like, you know, the ONS if it's like a UK domestic issue or something like the UN or the World Bank that has, you know, big international data sets on things. And if, you know, your story fits into that, that's great because it's not going to take you long to download the data and analyze it. But, you know, many of the times, you know, we're looking for data that doesn't exist or, you know, it's really hard to tease out. So I think that is probably, you know, the biggest issue that, you know, we'll have an idea or something and, you know, 
we can't find the data on it. That's a very good point. I mean, so when you run into that issue, I guess it might be it would be helpful to be associated with an organization like the Telegraph, right? Like, uh, is your source always limited to what is publicly available? No, um, there are many different ways of you know if something's not publicly available, you know there are many different ways that we can you know source data. So whether it's you know scraping information or you know using you know we have a freedom information request in the UK where we can right. request uh, information from like any public bodies and they have to provide it in 28 working days unless you know there's hmm. you know it has to meet certain criteria but within reason you know we can request information so you know there are many different ways that we can um, right. you know source information or you know just contacting organizations you know that was another one I was going to mention um, you know as you said I think you know it, it there is an advantage in working for a big organization because people have heard of you and they're quite mm. willing to work with you, especially if it's something that they think that they might have or they might be able to get hold of, yeah. you know, so, you know, working with academics or, you know, organizations or companies, some of which, you know, are very happy to help point you yeah. in the right direction for some data or open up some data that they have themselves yeah. on topics. Okay. And as a data journalist, how is your success measured in the in the organization? Um, <clears throat> I would say, well, again, as I've said so many times already, you know, it does vary on the story. You know, some things we're wanting reach on social media. Some things, you know, we're looking at uh, pure traffic. You know, mm. but I think more and more, you know, we are. Um, focused on engaged users so you know people actually on the page engage with our stories you know in a valuable way they are spending time with us they are looking at our stories are actually engaging with it in a meaningful way mm. and you know the telegraph's now got a structure um premium so you know you can access some telegraph articles for free mm. but some you know you have to be subscribed as a premium member to the telegraph right. to access that information so, you know, it's important for us to be able to provide, you know, that uh, meaningful project that pe- product that people are actually engaging with. So I think more and more we're looking at that uh, time on page, you know, are people staying with our stories, are people engaging with our articles? So I think, you know, that is a big emphasis for us. I see. Wow. Okay. So, but that's, that can be quite stressful right like do you monitor the stats of your, of your, like when you publish a new story, like the Africa one as an example? or the US elections one that you just shared, are you then tracking that, okay, well, it looks like X thousand users have looked at it so far and they've spent so many minutes and they've clicked on so many links? I, I can... Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> exactly that, you know. So, and yes, it is stressful because you can see it live, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, those examples you said, you know, both done, you know, very well, you know. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, and... that is stressful. <laughs> But, and, yeah, but, you know, there, there are other times when it's very frustrating, you know, when, you, you know, you put quite a lot of time into something and, you know, it just doesn't do well. Hmm. Um, there's no exact science to it. You know, you're not sometimes you can write something and you think, OK, yeah, this, this is all the, you know, the right ingredients to make like a really good story that is going to do well. You know, it's going to reach a lot of people and they're going to engage with it and stay with it. And it won't do well. Yeah, there's no exact science. Um, you know, there's other pieces that you think, well, this isn't great. And then, you know, it just gets picked up and people really interact with it. Um, no, it's I mean, it's quite hard to tell. I, 
I would hate it if I, if I were in your shoes because then you're basically getting uh, assessed on, e- on like story to story, right? And I'm sure that over a period of time, you will build up your own brand. I'm sure there is an emphasis that's placed on you building up your own brand as Ashley Kirk, right? As opposed to just a reporter with The Telegraph. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. But just going back to the previous point as well, you know, like, it can be frustrating, but it's also like one of the most important tools we do actually have, you know, being able to actually get live feedback yeah. on our stories, you know, is such an important resource for us, you know, because you can actually think as well, you know, it's not a precise science, but we know that certain things will work well or certain things don't work well. And, you know, it's the only way that we can figure out, okay, so, you know, people do like this type of article, people do like this type of graphic you know so it's the way that we can kind of like you know we can do a b test to see what you know whether people like certain things you know and then do more of that if they do respond positively so ultimately we can improve our content for our readers by using those metrics no it's it's definitely very measurable there there is a flip side to it that and again playing the devil's advocate that you do not want to get so carried away that your headlines could become very clickbaity, right? If you wanted to, you yes. could do that. But you don't want to do that. So um, mm-hmm. there's that fine balance that you have to tread. Um, but yeah. So Yeah, I think, yeah, you're definitely right. Yeah. Uh, that is something to be aware of. But, you know, there's a balance that can be met between the two. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So in your opinion, what do you think are the most ex- exciting aspects of working in this space? Uh it's all exciting, you know. <laughs> uh, there's so many different things you can get involved with. There are so many different platforms you can get involved with on both digital and print. Basically, on a continual basis, you know, you're gathering information that may not yet have been opened up and thinking, okay, how can I communicate this in the best possible way? You know, is that just by writing a normal, you know, store, traditional story with just a linear narrative in words or you know am i going to you know produce a great big interactive by collaborating with lots of developers and designers or am i going to create or you know ask for a new tool to be developed in-house or externally you Mm. know that is going to allow us to communicate this data on a you know regular basis you know there's so many different ways that you know you can take this role and so many different types of people that you're going to work with, you know, that variation is really exciting because you don't know what you're going to be doing every day. Yeah, it's definitely, since it's a new area and it's uncharted territory, I think there's a lot of scope for a lot of creativity, right? Like, as you said, that there's a lot of stuff that you can explore and do on your own. Uh, There are no no sort of set rules in place, unlike traditional journalism, which has been around forever. So... But it's changing a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, of course, it's changing a lot, but... There's still certain ways of doing things. Uh, here you get to define how to do things. So are, are there any aspects that you just do not like? Of course not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that cannot be I true. Mean, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's that I don't like as much. I think, you know, there is definitely room. We touched on this earlier, you know, this idea of collaboration. I think, you know, there is definitely mm-hmm room for improvement when it comes to collaborating with different desks and you know for example uh, colleagues that are more focused on print you know I think there is definitely room for improvement in terms of collaborating on that front because you know we both do good stuff that can be linked together better yeah um again it kind of links to a wider digital problem I would say um but you know that is a uh, that is something that you know we want to work on better uh it's not an area that I don't like the least 
you know, but it is an area that I think, you know, could be improved. Yeah, and I, I think not only is it something that, you know, I'm sure this is like a critical aspect to the growth of the of the newspaper itself, or any news outlet, because digital is such an important part of readership now, much more so for the younger generation, maybe. So that collaboration definitely is key. Yeah. Um, are there times when you maybe run into a stressful situation? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, for okay. sure. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I think... Uh, you know, journalism, you know, you have tight deadlines all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is a pressure to deliver. You know, you have to build, you know, solid stories, some of which are exclusive, you know, and deliver on them. Find things that are interesting for your audience, you know. And, you know, if they don't like it, they'll tell you, you know, <laughs> comments yeah. under stories online or, you know, social media, you know, you which is great you know it's great that you can have that interaction and communication with readers you know they can tell me you know just with a tweet you know that they want me to cover this or they don't like it when i cover this or whatever you know mm. for example you know that, that 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 is you know incredibly useful but of course that's very stressful as well because you know you are being continually assessed as you should be by your audience uh, yeah sort of stressful situations you know as well you know you're working to a tight deadline on, you know, several key things, you know, overnight shifts for Brexit and the US election or whatever, you know, that's so exciting. But it's also, you know, a lot of hard work, you know, live data analysis of the key metrics that we've planned out before. So it's very fun. But it's also quite intense. (laughs) No, I, I think that's a great point that you need to be someone who can enjoy that sort of thing, right? Like it is stressful, but you need to thrive in that stress. Because I, I can yes. imagine that this happens fairly often, right? Like some, some new deadline. And the pressure in a way is compounded by the fact that whatever you publish is viewed by thousands and thousands and thousands of people, right? So any mistake is there for many, many people to see. And they are going to tell you, as you said, right? Very openly that this is right and this is not right or I don't like it. So you have to be someone who is okay with that and enjoy it to some extent. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the only thing, you know, that I'd add to that as well is that, you know, um, I think particularly now in journalism, you know, the the brand is very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so the Telegraph brand, you know, is all about quality, you know, and advancing our readers understanding of topics. And so, yes, you know, the second that you publish something with your name on it and the Telegraph's name on it, you know, it has to be legit. It has to be, you know, perfect. Um, Otherwise, one, you'll be told about it, but two, you know, you're damaging that brand. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's very important to, you know, get that on the dot. Yeah, absolutely. So in your opinion, what kind of person do you think, like if you were to think about five qualities in a person who would really enjoy this job, what do you think they would be? Oh, five. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Um, I'm just throwing, throwing out think... a number. You can use, you can give me three or 10, whatever you like. Okay. I'll just list some things and then see how many we get by the end. Okay. Um, I think, first of all, you know, the key thing is that they've got to enjoy telling stories. Mm. Um, they've got to enjoy thinking, you know, about a new story that could be on anything, the environment or immigration or politics or the economy, you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the agenda will always change. But, you know, the key thing is, you know, they've got to enjoy actually telling stories about whatever that topic is. Um 
and yeah, going further than that, you know, they've got to enjoy thinking, okay, so this is the story, but you know, how can I dig into more detail on that? You know, they've got to have that kind of drive to think, okay, so this story is already out there, you know, but what else can I add to that? You know, is there something that, you know, people might be asking about this? You know, is there some context or analysis or explanation, you know, that needs to be given to make people fully understand this topic? They've got to have curiosity you know they've got to be able to think okay um there's a problem here you know um in a particular topic so you know for example as you talked about earlier you know the, the tube uh finds for example you know they've got to kind of think okay so there's a problem here how can i access that information hmm. if it's not publicly available you know how can i go about bringing that information out into the public domain so that you know people can understand that this you know is a problem so they've got to have that curiosity and that nose to tell a story. And, you know, obviously that's relevant for, you know, journalism as a whole. And then I think, you know, there's got to, they've got to have an eye for design as well. You know, they've mm. got to kind of think, they've got to kind of like thinking about the best way that they're going to be able to communicate a story, right. um, you know, away from just, you know, words and headlines or whatever. But, you know, think, okay, so is the best way to tell this story with a map or, you know, a chart or an interactive or indeed just words you know like but you know be thinking about that kind of you know way that you know a reader will engage in that story using different platforms to their advantage yeah this is um, yeah this is actually this is great and i mean clearly as you were talking to this one thing which i was thinking about is that since this is a relatively new space and you know Yes, let's assume that you have all of this and you want to get into data journalism and you think that, hey, I think I'm going to enjoy it. But what is the, do you, in terms of the career path, do you, because it's a new space, I guess there is no career path or it's to be defined. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it varies massively, you know. Um, I think, you know, if you look at data journalists, you know, all across the world, they're all massively different. It's cool because, you know, you have data journalists that, you know, are statisticians. You have data journalists that are, you know, graphics people. You know, you have data journalists that are designers. You have data journalists that are traditional reporters. You know, you have data journalists that are developers. You know, these are all massively different career paths. You know, um, it's kind of cool that, you know, we can all, you know, live under this, you know, umbrella called data journalism. You know, it's massively varied Uh and so it's kind of hard to think of like a typical background or, you know, a typical career path because, you know, it's completely different. Yeah. And are there any resources that you might want to recommend for anyone who is interested in exploring this space or, you know, maybe prepare for interviews, those kind of thing? I think there's loads of stuff online. Mm -hmm. um, there's some really good blogs out there so simon rogers who's the data editor of google you know has a good blog with some good uh, resources links and just general musings on data journalism okay uh he was the founder of like the guardians uh, data journalism uh data blog um, so he's a good person to read um paul bradshaw in the uk has uh his online journalism blog uh, that's pretty cool. There's like a data section there that has a lot of uh, interesting things and also lots of tutorials, you know, uh, if you want to like, for example, learn how to scrape or, you know, with particular platforms, there's lots of tutorials there. You want to just get into like basic 
visualization, you know, there are lots of tools such as like high charts um, or data wrapper um, that are very easy to input data into and quickly get a result out of uh, that you can then build on. Um, so yeah, there, there are lots of resources out there. Um, all of them free, which is, well, not all of them, but you know, many are free, uh, which yeah. is also handy. This is great. And this, this goes well into then, you know, if let's say I'm a candidate who is looking to apply, actually, before we yeah. get into how to stand out, what is a good way to apply for a job as a data journalist at one of these big news organizations? Uh, in terms of in the sense uh, should I just go on the website should I try and talk to a data journalist who is already in the organization and sort of make a case for why I am I would be a good hire or something else no harm in doing both <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I th- you know uh, well we've just hired another data journalist here you know and that was you know advertised on the website you know um, on social media and everything so you know I think it's important to kind of follow data journalists and again this kind of applies for journalism as a whole you know follow journalists that you like and you know if they have any placements keep an eye out for that mm. apply for work experience you know let you let, get yourself known go to data journalism has a huge community um there are events which is like hacks hackers um you know which is like a journalistic uh, but also like technological event that happens you know at, every month in big cities like London, um, all over the world. And, you know, people from like a digital background, a data background will be going to them. So I think, you know, it's important to engage in the community uh, and start, you know, collaborating with people. Let Get yourself known, you know, let them know that you're willing uh, to work on, you know, projects. Um, mm. Because, you know, there'll be quite often that there's like a big project that, you know, we'll want to hand on. Uh, and we'll, we might think, okay, so who's that person that we've, oh, you know, talked in the past or worked with in the past and we know is good and, you know, will produce solid stories. That's a, that's a great idea. So if I'm, let's say, a budding data journalist, I could potentially reach out to you and uh, give you a hand on a project which you maybe do not have the time to work on yourself. So you, you would be, provided that that person looks right to you and all that, you might be willing to take on a volunteer from the outside. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, I think freelance work is, you know, really sometimes essential, obviously, depending when it fits in with our projects and everything. But yeah, um, I think that's, you know, a key way in. Um, I think, you know, more important than that is, you know, just get yourself known, you know, as you were talking about earlier, you know, that personal brand, you need to make sure that you are producing solid stories, you know, even if these aren't getting published on like a very big website or anything, you know, just start a blog mm. and post. Be on social media and post. You know, think about new ways of telling small stories. Create your niche, and then think about you know ways that you can produce content on that niche and tell stories in new ways. Um, start analyzing yeah. new data and new graph ways of telling the stories and graphics. Uh, and you know, then you know people will start to recognize you for what you're doing. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, and I'm sure that when you are applying for a job, uh, they will look at what you've already done, right? So you ha- you need to demonstrate that your interest in this space, either through your prior work or your projects or this kind of stuff that you're doing on your own. Oh, yeah, for sure. You yeah. know, one thing that, you know, people would definitely do in this uh, 
industry is Google you. Yeah. Uh, sure. So you know, make sure that you know you've got a blog and social media accounts, you know, on Twitter or whatever you know that is at the near the top of Google yeah. uh, that we can find, and then actually see some cool work, you know, a portfolio of stuff that you've done. Yeah. You know, you can create that, sell yourself, show us what kind of work you've been doing. You know, solid stories and visualizations and everything because then you know that's going to speak more than a cv or something really yeah i mean if you were to start a blog today and you could you wanted to write your first data journalistic story does any topic come to mind that would interest you uh (laughs) hard one I suppose, you know, at the moment in the UK, you know, there's a lot of stuff on um, Brexit. Um, You know, it's kind of like the big topic of the day. Um, So I think, you know, looking more into how the UK's relationship with the European Union has kind of shifted over time Hmm. and do some kind of like historical analysis of, you know, how things are going, how things have gone in the past and what led to Brexit, you know, would be kind of cool. Okay. but yeah, like these things um, are stories and topics that like a big newsroom would seek to cover. You know, like Brexit. There's a story every day in every national paper about it basically at the moment. So either you need to be coming at it from a really fresh new perspective, which is really hard to do. Um, but if you do it, then, you know, you're going to get noticed because people are going to be like, Hey, why, what are these guys doing? You know, why haven't we done that? Then they'll look at someone like me and think, you know, why haven't we done that? You know, um, so that's a good way of getting noticed. But you know, a sort of less high risk way of doing it is to actually think of a very new topic that hasn't been covered at all, hmm. and you know, make that your niche because yeah. that's obviously a way that you can get seen as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably something which might be of more interest to you also. Um, hmm. Okay, and uh, just quickly the. Uh, the event that you mentioned for data journalists, that's Act Hacks? Oh, sorry, no, it's Hacks Hackers. Oh, Hack, okay. Uh, yes, as in, a, you know, a play on hacks for journalists and hackers as in coders. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got that. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ashley. This was wonderful. Is there any oh, other... Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any other advice you'd like to share with people who are interested in exploring this space and potentially entering it themselves? I think all all I'd say, you know, is make use of the tools and the platforms that are available to you. You know, there's a big community around there surrounding data journalism where many people are creating open source tools and making it easier and easier to pull out data and analyze it and communicate it and, you know, the right ways. So, you know, there's lots of blogs out there guiding you around, lots of tutorials and just lots and lots of tools. So, yeah, have a Google around and, you know, it is quite easy to sort of learn yourself step by step. So I think that's, um, you know, the key takeaway. There's a lot of resources out there mm-hmm. to use. All right. Thanks a lot, Ashley. And uh, I hope I did not take a lot of your time, but enjoy the rest of your day. No, that's fine. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So that was Ashley on what is it like to work as a data journalist. I really hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and if you enjoyed it as much as I did, you should subscribe to the podcast. Simply check out the website at learneducatediscover.com where you'll find links to the podcast on iTunes for Apple users and SoundCloud and Stitcher for Android users.
Of course, if you have any questions at all for Ashley or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at our website learneducatediscover.com where we share the latest episodes as well as a variety of career resources. So do check that out. Just go to our website at learneducatediscover.com. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.